When we last left Elijah, <laughs> that was like an old-time show, doesn't it? I'm the announcer. When we last left Elijah. The, uh, anyway, um, you know, i got to say this. Remember back in the day, you, you're watching some show, you're really into it. Uh, the one show that I was allowed to stay up late and watch was Emergency. It was on Saturday night, and I was a little kid. And uh, you'd get to an end. Every once in a while, you'd get to the end of an episode, and all of a sudden, those dreaded words, to be continued. And here's the thing. For those of you that are, that are growing up on binging, you, you can't just press the, press the box that says next episode. you got to wait all week for the next part. It was, it, those were tough times. And um, <laughs> anyway, when we last left Elijah this morning, he had just been instructed by God to leave the brook Cherith and to go to Zarephath. Remember I told you, God said, I have commanded a woman. So God put it in the woman's heart already. There's a man of God coming, and you need to feed him. The, um, I'm sure if you've been saved for any amount of time, you've had similar impulses, and you're, man, I'm not sure, if, was that God? And usually when you really question if it was God, it's something that you really would rather not do, right? Um, when you feel an impulse to go do something that you really think you probably shouldn't do, then it's easy to say, oh, the Lord spoke to my heart. It's okay to go to that party. But when it's something where you're, oh, I don't want to do that. You want to make a witness to that guy? You want to get want me to give a track to that person? That's when we say, I'm not so sure that that was the Lord. We've all been there. But the Lord puts an impulse in this woman's heart. Remember this, Pastor Clark has said this repeatedly in my, in my hearing. We hear the word of God with our ears, but we hear the voice of God with our hearts. The spirit of God moves in our hearts. And so God had spoken to this woman's heart. And he arrives in Zarephath, as we said a moment ago, on the day that she is about to prepare a last meal for her and her son. Elijah knew that his ultimate destination was Mount Carmel. So this was sort of a rest stop. Remember, he had to, if I could use the expression, he had to kill some time. Because it wasn't going to rain again until people were really feeling the drought. If they weren't feeling the drought and the resulting famine, then the showdown on Carmel wasn't going to mean much. So I don't know if Elijah faced this temptation, but it would be very easy for a human being to just view this as a rest stop on the way to my final destination. This is just a, uh, we're just killing time here. I'm not, I'm not saying Elijah felt that. The Bible doesn't indicate so. But it would be very easy for a human being to look at it that way. Elijah arrives in Zarephath. The woman is gathering sticks in her yard. And as we read a moment ago, he asks her for something, something to eat. And she says, well, to be honest, I'm just trying to find a couple sticks to make a fire to build, to make one last cake for my, my son and me. And then we're going to die because we have no meal left. So... And she's thinking in her heart, probably, I know what God apparently put in my heart, but it couldn't have been God. 
even though there's a man of God standing right here. That's not a coincidence. But how could it have been God? God knows what's in my barrel. And you know what happened because we went through the, the story as we read the scripture. That as a result of her obedience at a very difficult decision point, as a result of her obedience, God gave her food for the rest of the famine. She never ran out. And there doesn't seem to be any limit on how much she could make. As long as you just make, you know, half portions, you won't run out. No, you won't run out. Let's review quickly what happened in Zarephath. Don't miss this. And I want you to picture somebody that you have known or praying for, maybe somebody you have led to Christ at some point in the past and you just wish they would grow. And think about them, these things happening to that person that you just wish they would grow. And realize what a victory this would be. What happened in Zarephath? First of all, a woman learned to recognize the voice of God. That's huge. She had an impulse. She felt it was from the Lord. But she didn't know for sure because it didn't seem possible. That can't be from God because it doesn't seem possible. And then the prophet shows up and she's like, oh boy. Maybe that was from God, but still not possible. And she goes through the whole explanation. And as we described it, that, that second time she went to the barrel, and there was more. The second time she went to the bottle of oil, and it was still there. I mean, can you picture that? I hope this isn't too much information, but this morning I went to wash my hair, and I squeezed the last drop out of the bottle and I'm thinking Sunday's busy I hope there's going to be more in the bottle by tomorrow morning I'm pretty sure that if we don't go by stop and shop tonight or maybe Amy's got one in the in the pantry that I don't know about God's not going to apply this principle to the shampoo bottle pretty sure he loves me and he can do it but I'm pretty sure we gotta, we got to provide our own shampoo. But you know the feeling. Oh, that's the end of the tide. <laughs> oh, we don't do that anymore. We've got, we've got those little things, right? <laughs> this is how we do it now. Oh, that's the end of the tide. Anyway, <laughs> not me. But, but you know what the bottom of the bottle feels like. And this woman did too. And it just kept, there kept being enough for one more meal. Enough oil for one more meal. Unbelievable. She learned to recognize the voice of God. She learned to obey God. She learned to serve God. I bet she had never catered for a prophet before. Get this. I want to point this out in the text. A woman and her son saw God multiply. Look at verse 15. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. Get this now. And she and he, Elijah, and her house. Wait a second. Where did this and her house come from? She just had one son. 
She already said that. If it was just her son that was eating with them, it would have said she and he and her son did eat many days. But it says her house. So I came up. Here's, here's the way I studied my Bible. When I hit a question like this, I come up with an idea, a theory. I say, Lord, show me, show me why that says house and not son. So I came up with a theory. Here is my theory. You know, her brothers, her cousins, her aunts and uncles, they had written her off. Because everybody's struggling to eat. And they knew that she was a widow and she didn't have any income. And they, when the drought really, the famine really started hitting hard, they started talking, well, they're not going to make it very long. They're going to be a casualty pretty soon. And then all of a sudden, they started to realize, you know, they're, they're, they're eating pretty good. In fact, you know, every time you go over to her house for a visit, see how they're doing, see if today's the day they're going to drop dead. She serves food. How come she has food? I wouldn't doubt if she had been to some of them to ask for help. Maybe not. But one thing's for sure, she's getting food from somewhere. So guess what they probably started doing? Hey, let's go over and visit my cousin today. Why? Because there's always food there. Just like with Rahab. Once word got out that uh, those two guys from Israel were the God of Israel, everybody was so scared of them, promised that whatever's coming down the road, if you're on her, in her house that day, you're going to live. <laughs> I bet she had a few relatives say, uh, by the way, she's a harlot, so they hadn't talked to her in a long time, certainly. We don't talk to her. She's the black sheep of the family. And uh, now, Rahab, we were thinking about maybe like, moving in with you <laughs> when people when when your lost loved ones see God has your back over and over and over again they take you more seriously it may take a while but they do and I think that's what happened so that was my theory that I came up with hey her her relatives started seeing that she had food <laughs> and they started visiting a little more often and so I then, I, here's what I do. I come up with my theory, and then I go and I read a half a dozen or more uh, commentators from long ago that, uh, that I have right on my laptop. I probably have two dozen on my laptop with the information right there in the software. So I go and I read some of them, men that lived two, three, four hundred years ago. You know what? They all agreed with my theory. Now, if they hadn't, I usually still stick with my theory. But when they all agree, it's like, I nailed it, you know. I think that's what happened. One thing's for sure, she was feeding more people than she was when Elijah first showed up. So a woman and her son saw God multiply, and don't miss this, God raised a boy from the dead. That's no small thing. And then, also in Zarephath, which was just a rest stop. Just killing some time, waiting for Carmel. A woman received spiritual healing. What? All right, look at verse 17. It came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. 
What's her first reaction? Verse 18. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? The first thing she thought of was her past. She had a past that haunted her. The truth is, folks, we all have a past. And though many of us may not be, you know, have a criminal past, hopefully none of us do, whether we do or not, that doesn't matter. But we all have a past. We all have stories that we hope nobody's ever going to find out about. Let's not ever judge each other harshly. She had a past. And the first thing she thought of when her son died was, I bet that's because of Maybe, this is just me thinking, guessing, maybe her son was somehow connected to her sins. Whatever it was, when her son died, the first thing she thought of was to think, oh man, God's getting me back for that. But by the end, not only did God prove her wrong, but she said, now, This I know, by this I know, that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in in thy mouth is true. Sounds like healing to me. A woman receives spiritual healing. A woman and her son learn to trust the Lord. I just read that verse for you. And then one more thing, don't miss this. God strengthened Elijah for Carmel. Elijah was not a man who was exempt from fear. I happen to think that fear was Elijah's besetting sin. You want some evidence of that? After he's up there on Mount Carmel, in this massive showdown, the thing for which Elijah is known for, he gets word that old Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And what does he do? He runs. If he was, that, you know, the great man of faith that I picture him as, wouldn't you think, bring her on. There's more fire up there where that came from. Come on. He ran. He ran way where she couldn't find him. Let me show you a couple other things that are evidence of fear. Have you ever read the end of 1 Kings 19? God commanded Elijah to do three things. You are to anoint a man named Haziel as the next king of Syria. Well, if you're going to anoint a king in Syria, you got to go to Syria. You got to walk down the street where Syrians are. That's not an easy task. Then he said, you are going to anoint a man named Jehu to be the king of of Israel. Sometime read the story of Israel. Uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) read the story of Jehu. Jehu ran with some tough dudes. It's like you had to go down to the bar where the bikers hang out and walk in and ask for Jehu. That's the kind, you read it for yourself. It's like, oh boy. His third assignment was he had to anoint Elisha as his next prophet, the guy that comes after him. Of the three, that's the easiest. And of the three, That's the only one Elijah did. Now, Elisha, the man he anointed to take his place, 
He went and anointed Haziel, but God didn't command. Initially, God commanded Elijah. It sounds like heresy because, man, Elijah! It sounds like heresy to say that he was, his besetting sin was fear. Let me give you one more evidence. 2 Kings chapter 1. The king wanted to talk. The king of Israel wanted to talk to Elijah. So he sent out a squad of 50 soldiers. Elijah was up on top of a hill. He saw the king's men coming. He called down fire and fried all 50 of them. The king heard about it. He sent out 50 more men. Aren't you, you know, you're the backups. Aren't you glad? 50 more men go out there. Not 50 Mormons, 50 more men. Just to be clear. They might have been Mormons. 50 more men go out there. And Elijah calls down fire and fries all 50 of them. So the king sends out a third squad of 50. And they come on their hands and knees. <laughs> Please! The king just wants to talk to you. We're not going to harm you, I promise. And get what the angel of the Lord said. The angel of the Lord spoke to Elijah and said, don't be afraid of them. Why would the angel of the Lord say, don't be afraid of them, if he didn't know that Elijah was afraid of them? I'm saying to you, I think that that was, not that he was any more fearful than I am or you are. I'm not saying this is the, 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 the weenie of the Bible. I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I think this is what Elijah battled. And yet, when he was on Mount Carmel, <laughs> these prophets of Baal are crying out, All Baal sent by, they're cutting themselves, they're crying, they're beating themselves. And there's Elijah sitting there. Go, hey, cry a little louder. Maybe he's in the back room. <laughs> Cry a little loud. Maybe he's hunting. Totally confident that when it's his turn, he can call down fire. Where did he get that kind of confidence? In Zarephath. The Bible doesn't say this, but I'm going to take a little guess. When you raise somebody from the dead, it's a little bit of a faith strengthener, don't you think? In Zarephath, he learns over and over. Every meal he eats reminds him, God answered your prayer. God heard you. God is working for you. God is in your corner. So that's the last thing that I'm going to list. There may be things I'm overlooking. That in Zarephath, God strengthened Elijah for Carmel. You say, Pastor, it doesn't sound like you've gotten to the point yet, and I'm really starting to get a little nervous, okay? Here we are. Just for the record, we didn't start the message until about 6.40. So anyhow, just, put, just putting that out there. Zarephath didn't seem as important as Mount Carmel. Do you know to this day there is a statue on the top of Mount Carmel of Elijah cutting off the heads of the prophets of Baal? There's a statue to this day on the top of Carmel. Nearly 3,000 years later, 
Doesn't it seem like there'd be a statue in Zarephath? I mean, he raised somebody from the dead. But there's not. There may be, but I'm not aware of there being one. But I just want to say to you tonight, in just a very simple thoughts, learn to treasure the Zarephaths of your life. Don't get all hyped up about the Mount Carmels. You will have them. But don't live and die by them. Learn to treasure Zarephath. Learn to treasure the preparation time. That was Elijah's preparation time. Learn to treasure the preparation time. It's easy for a preacher, and so I imagine it's easy for a Sunday school teacher when you, you've got, man, you've got such a great lesson prepared. Oh, man, the object lesson I have this week, it's going to, man, it's going to be great. And they're, oh, man, it's going to be awesome. Can I say treasure the preparation time more than the awesomeness that you anticipate in the class? I'm not minimizing the class, just like I'm not minimizing Carmel for crying out loud. But don't overlook Zarephath. Don't overlook those sweet times of preparation. Can I say to you, teachers, and and I don't know anybody's habits, and I'm not judging anybody's habits, but I I know this as somebody who I, I am a preparer. I cannot stand to be unprepared. Instead of procrastinating on your preparation so that and then all of a sudden you got 15 minutes before between now and tomorrow morning I haven't looked at my lesson all week and now I got 15 minutes to prepare or I'm gonna have to stay up all night reading this you know learn to treasure that preparation time those sweet times If you treasure them, you'll start them on Sunday night or Monday morning. Man, I can't wait to start bathing. Next week, by the way, teachers, I changed the order. I've never liked it that we went all the way to the captivity and then we reached back to Jonah, which happened like 300 years before. So you may have noted, maybe maybe you didn't, but maybe you did, that we're going from Hezekiah to Jonah because actually by Hezekiah's time, I think Jonah had already lived and and the book of Jonah had already happened but it's a lot closer to where we are right now than it is to the captivity and I was just plagued by the fact that I was so far out of chronology so we're in Jonah Jonah and the whale next week would you treasure preparation time so much that you you jump into you jump into that whale's belly tonight or tomorrow morning And you let it stay with you all week. Treasure the preparation time. Value it. Learn to treasure the Zarephath. Learn to treasure the Zarephath of one person who makes progress. We we want so much to have those massive days. And we've had wonderful days. I mean, every time we do a Carnival Sunday, that's a great day. I remember on our, on Amy and my, for 15th anniversary of um, pastoring, we had a big day, and uh, we had 400, I believe the total was 485 people between here and we rented the, uh, the uh, Amber Room. They gave us a good price on it because we're neighbors. It was only $10,000, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it ain't cheap. But um, we had 485 people that day. 
That was a big day. That, that, was, a, that was a Mount Carmel. It was an awesome day. But it's so easy to get excited about those kind of things that you overlook the fact that a, somebody in your class says, I learned my memory verse this week. Tell you, there's a lot of drought and a lot of famine when you serve the Lord. And you have to come to the place where you learn, I'm going to get excited about one person who made progress this week. A lot of great things happened this morning. It was a wonderful day. And I'll be rejoicing about it all week and praying as I pray for God to bless next week. But there were some tremendous personal victories sitting in this room this morning. I was overwhelmed. I'll stay overwhelmed all week long. Personal victories, just like the lady in Zarephath and her son. Learn to treasure Zarephath. Learn to treasure the miracles in the shadows. I mentioned it this morning, the, the, the answered prayers that you have that you don't even share, sometimes because they're too personal, and then sometimes because you know they're miracles, but somebody else wouldn't, wouldn't understand, they wouldn't agree. Don't forget to treasure the miracles in the shadows. Don't live for Carmel. Carmel will disappoint you. Not Carmel, New York, though that will disappoint you too, I'm afraid. It's something that Elijah faced depression. Read 1 Kings 19. He went through a depression. He went through a depression. You know that passage that we all love so much and people talk about? Not, the Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in the fire. But in the still small voice. Did you ever read what Elijah did during the still small voice? He took off his mantle. Same one he used to call Elisha with, by the way. He took off, read it, see if I'm lying, took off his mantle like a three-year-old, wrapped it around his head, and when God spoke in the still, small voice on Mount Sinai, by the way, all things that would make us say, you got to be kidding, God, I can't believe I'm here. Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Elijah had his mantle wrapped around his head as to say, oh, I'm not listening. He went through quite a depression, chapter 9. And do you know why? Because he had high expectations for the showdown on Mount Carmel, and they didn't turn out to be what he thought they would be. But man, there wasn't any disappointment about Zarephath. What a sweet time of fellowship with the Lord, of nurturing a new, a new, a new convert. And of even seeing a miracle of, to the point of, of raising somebody from the dead. Not a lot of people have that on their resume. Don't live for Mount Carmel. It'll disappoint you. My greatest ministry memories are from Zarephath. The times of preparation, sweet preparation with the Lord. The times of personal one-on-one -on -one impact. And those answers to prayer in secret. Don't live for Carmel. God will give you some Mount Carmels, but live for Zarephath.